Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the From Where I Sit podcast. This is the first episode of 6 in the Creative Series. Today's guest is Gretsch. She is a classically trained pianist. She is a composer, a lyricist. She is a singer, a producer, a podcast engineer, and a classical piano technique coach. We talked about where she grew up, what led her to become a singer, composer, and songwriter, uh, what her creative process was, and what it's like to be your own worst critic. We also talk about creativity, New York City, uh, and a few other interesting topics. If you would like to hear some of Gretch's music, and that's Gretch with two T's, go to her website at Gretch.com, spelled G-R-E-T-T-C-H, and click the media button. Uh, You can also get in contact with her there, find her Instagram, uh, you can email her, and read a little bit more about her biography on that website. Hey Gretchen, how are you? Good. How are you, Christopher? I'm fine. I'm fine. Let's just jump into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born? What led you to New York City? Okay. So, well, my journey actually kind of started in New York City. I was born in New Jersey, Passaic, uh, but my parents lived in Brooklyn and Bensonhurst for a couple of years. Uh, so yeah, my mom came here to do a PhD and then ended up staying for some time and brought my father with her. And then they decided to go back to Chile when I was around four years old and my other siblings were born as well. And we went back to the city where my parents met that it's in the South of Chile is Valdivia. Okay. And, um, yeah, that's the story of how I was born and, um, And then music started from my house. Uh, My grandmother had a piano at her living room. And every time I could go visit, I wanted to play it. And it was kind of forbidden because it was an instrument and I was little. But my mom taught me Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Yeah, the old old, uh, standby. Yeah. Yes. And then like uh, Spanish lullaby that's called Los Pollitos Dicen. Then one day she brought me to an orchestra concert and she asked me during the concert, which of the instruments would you like to play? And I chose the piano. So she took me to a conservatory from the university where she works and made me audition. And I got in when I was five. Wow. And, um, and I started going to class when I was five at the conservatory in piano. Yeah, that's how my music career started with piano. Wow. That's, yeah. So you've, you've been at it from, for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So from piano, what other instruments did you end up picking up over time? So, over time, I started to fall in love with uh, popular music, especially the Beatles were my biggest influence when I was a kid, besides classical music. 
then I discovered rock music and some roses. I discovered grunge and I fell in love with Pearl Jam, then metal music. So I picked up on the guitar that my grandma also had a guitar there. And I started to learn by myself guitar. She had a book, like a very old book with pictures of chords, positions. And I started to try it on and I just liked making sound. That's it. So from there and the need of singing, I start, I picked up the guitar in order for me to sing the songs that I didn't know how to put on the piano. <laughs> Basically, that's how it started. Okay, that's, 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 very, that's a very interesting next step. What type of music do you compose currently? I would say it has a lot of classical music influence. Yeah, it, it has a lot of classical music aspects to it. I am also like sort of folkish music. One of the first uh, songwriters, singer-songwriters that I fell in love with was Tori Amos because of that. She came from a classical music background also playing classical piano and then making her way through with it to write her own songs. And that became sort of like my biggest inspiration and made me realize that I could do that as well. So I started doing that and my music has a lot of that. Also a little bit of rock because I'm a rocker by heart. <laughs> okay, so it's it's a blend of all of your musical influences. Yes, in so, yes. Like you started, you started with piano, you then developed a love for all the other genres during your uh let's say your formative years and then yes. the folk came a little pro- did the folk come a little later after that yes absolutely okay so you just, just yeah that's cool that's a blend of all three yes i know this might put you on the spot real quick but do you have a favorite let's say five albums or so yes my favorite one of my favorite albums that i could put there top notch is um bjork debut it just struck me deeply inside so that's my top one okay then i have another album that it's current like this days it was released in 2018 from mac miller it's called swimming that was his last album before he unfortunately passed away r.i.p mac mm-hmm. and i loved his uh, sense of rhythm i love his phrasing i love the production of that album the mixing of that album it's incredible what other albums do i like I like an uh, album from Tribalistas, which is a band where the singer is Marisa Monte, and they are from Brazil. And I love that album as well, the vibe of the album, the songwriting of the album. It's fantastic. The other album that I really like that struck me when I was 17 years old was uh, Sense from Memory from Dream Theater, which is progressive rock music. Okay. And that whole album I listened to with my full heart and many other songs, but particularly that album struck me and changed my perspective also and how to sing. Okay. Um, I would say those three for now okay. are like striking. Just a little side story for me. I got into Bjork, um, I would say 97. I was mm-hmm. away in college. I was listening to mostly popular music, mm-hmm. um, but I had a f- sweet mate. I lived on a floor in a tower at SUNY Albany, and mm-hmm. one of the people that lived on my floor had uh, Bjork's, I think it was Homogenic album? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Homogenic, so yeah. They made me a, a copy, and I listened to it, and I was, you know, my, my brain sort of... 
because I, I wasn't used to hearing music like that. Mm-hmm. So when that hit me, I was like, wow, okay, this this is a game changer. Yeah. Um, I've, I've always been a fan of hers since mm-hmm. that album. I mean, I, I they played her stuff on MTV back in the days. You know, yes, the, they did. And I used to be scared of them, yeah. of the videos. <laughs> I, can, I can understand why. She has a very interesting view uh, when she makes videos. But it was the Oh So Quiet song that I thought was very... Oh, wow, yeah. That video and the song, it was very intriguing to me. I, I liked it. I always liked it, even though I liked the popular music. So, But I just sort of kept that on the fringe. Just like I didn't really tell everybody, like, oh, I love this song. Yeah, she's a very special character. And what I like about her is that she's very complete. She has uh, the aesthetics to herself. Uh, She always has a concept while she writes. And there is always something that it's hinted there, either emotional growth or it's either a social critique. But there is something there that it's always like a very strong, deep message. And of course, her singing and just her entire way of structuring things is something that really, really, I really, really admire because I find it very complete. Unlike other people, there are great musicians and it's great musicians, but she has like something more and she's always exploring beyond and using the technology 24-7. And I find that very admirable. Uh, just a suggestion. I don't know if you've heard of this group, um, but Wild Birds and Peace Drums. No, I haven't. I saw them live once at the Mercury Lounge. It was the closest thing to a religious ritual that I've ever been to uh, as a performance. They are a married couple. I don't know. I I want to say Nordic, somewhere in the Sweden, Norway, Denmark area. Mm-hmm. They have a couple albums. Um I can't think of the names of them offhand, but... Um, so Wild Birds of Britain? No, no, no. Wild Birds and Peace Drums. Ah, I found it. Yeah. Cool. They, awesome. have, they have some... Uh, there's a song that I love from them called There Is No Light. Um, they have another song I like called The Offbeat. It's just mm-hmm. the, the, the husband does the percussion. Wow. Uh, lady does the singing. It's very good stuff. I prefer them live, which is weird, because a lot of the musicians that I've liked growing up I like the CD version or the you know the studio version of their music more so than the live stuff because the right. live stuff can get a little raw, can get a little yeah. rough around the edges. Yeah. For them, it's the other way around. I feel like they're a little more overproduced in the studio yeah. and that their live stuff is just, it's them with just their instruments and her singing. and it, That's it a works. great difference right there. Most of the time, that is something that we encounter a lot, that you fall in love with the artist on the album and you go live and it's not the same yeah. or you fall in love with the artist on a live setting and then the production did not have the direction that it needed to have so it's very interesting how like the producers make a huge difference in your music at the end of the day they do they do yeah so it seems you have a strong handle on the technical aspect of music mm-hmm. is the, are are you well versed in production stuff behind the boards do you work with that when you're creating music as well i do absolutely i'm still very raw in the process because i used to be the wood musician so playing the instrument with my hand and just singing and that was it Mm -hmm. but this day's music has evolved in such a way that you can't avoid technology because it opens up doors for you to create soundscapes while complementing what you really want to say your message I have gotten into technology and 
I'm working with it every day. Okay. Uh, I'm still not uh, defined with a life setting, so I could put all of that together while I perform live. But as of now, I'm producing at home and with uh, collaborating with other producers and artists so I can grow as a musician, as a composer, as a producer. Um, and yeah, that's my daily life. So... Uh, my next question would then be, how does working with the technical side affect how you listen to music today? Or even going back to some of the old stuff that you've heard before. Can you right. hear Can you hear flaws that maybe the casual listener won't hear? And that, does that affect your appreciation of the music at mm. all? I would say nowadays I have understood a different way of looking at music. I have developed my ear in a sense that I understand now that I also have certain particularities when it comes to producers and not every produced song makes it for me. There always has to be an element of uh, creativity um, going outside the box in order for me to be inspired or be curious, intrigued or to want to listen to a song. A great example of that is this producer, Skrillex. Oh. I don't know if you've heard about oh. him. Yeah, um, Skrillex and I are very familiar. Yeah, so Skrillex used to be like the king of dubstep for quite a long while. Yeah. And I was never into dubstep particularly, but then this one day I came up with this song from Kelsey Lou called Due West that it's produced by Skrillex. Mm-hmm. And I was mind blown. <laughs> I was extremely mind blown because I used to feel like Skrillex had this like very uh, aggressive sound, yeah. uh, very strong and very direct sound. And the song from Kelsey Lou, Do West, she is like extremely feminine energy from any single angle you will see her and even her compositions and the way she writes songs and the way she sings. She's a classically trained musician, happens to be, she's a cellist, but she includes also effects on her um, live performances and makes it happen. And this song combined with Skrillex's uh, taste Mm-hmm. went to a different level for me. I was super impressed because it is a straightforward pop song but it has this very delicate elements that make the song flow in a very soft and gentle way that I'd never expected from Skrillex, to be honest. Yeah. And from then I started to check more on him and to the depths of how many things he does because I was super, super, super impressed. So that's one example of how production can change completely your perspective or your take on to listen to music. I'm a fan of Skrillex's... When I, when I was dipping my toe into the dubstep waters, his stuff was a little too much for me from the, at the very beginning. It's sort of like he was the deep end. Yeah. Um, but I've, I eventually waded my way out there to his level at some point. And I'm, I can appreciate dubstep as a genre. I was, I was probably one of the few in my social circle that was still sort of championing it, playing it, <laughs> you know, whenever I could. Yeah. Um, but there's, there are levels to dubstep. But that, I guess that's a, that's a that's a larger different discussion about yes. the, the steps yes, of that. Absolutely. <laughs> Hi, 
so let's let's make this transition. Uh, we're going to talk about creativity. So my first question is about your creative process. Let's say let's take a a regular day for you. Uh, we're we're creating something from scratch. What is your process like? What do mm -hmm. you what do you need around you to get yourself in that space? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that. So I would say. I never stop creating like my mind is constantly on it and it doesn't have to be necessarily about writing songs. Uh, usually I'm constantly coming up with ideas for many things and most of the ideas that I find or I feel that they could be potentially something good or become something that is going to be substantial or something that I would feel uh, proud of, then I'll write it down. Okay. When it comes to music, I'm always coming up with random melodies and I usually, I, I actually use my note, uh, note voice a lot from the phone in the street. I don't care if people think I'm crazy. I really don't. <laughs> but if I come up with an idea, I just grab my microphone on the phone and I sing it in the street and I record whatever I am. I don't care. But I record it and I keep it there. And sometimes when is the idea stronger? When usually I come up with a verse and with a chorus right away. Okay. And uh, most of the times when the, the picture in my head is very clear about how I want it to sound, I just go home and vomit it. Sorry for the word, but that's, that's exactly that's how that's it fine. happens. I just like take it away from my brain and yeah, and try to find the sound as much as I can and make the song happen. When I feel like something's stopping me, then I usually try to take a break, let it breathe for some time, let it digest in my head mm -hmm. and in myself too, because I have to feel it. I have to feel it in order for me to put it together. What I mean about feeling is like when I start playing the song till I finish playing the song, I have to feel that emotional journey happening. Okay. If I don't feel it, then something's missing for me. Okay. That's how how I interpret this feelings that I have inside. Okay. It's so, a, the yeah. the vomit process, uh, as you said. Um, <laughs> Sorry to use that word. It's okay. I, but I, I, the visual, I get it. It's like you, you try to get it all out at once. How yes. I wanted to ask more about that process because there are times I feel like with me as a when I'm creating something, I, f I feel like I'm almost overwhelmed by yes. the the energy of the idea. Yes. Is it something that you just continue to just keep as to use the word again? Do you just keep vomiting until you're done or is it just um, does it just sort of come out all at once when you're releasing the uh, the idea? Um. I would say that when I start to feel overwhelmed, mm -hmm. usually I understand why. And most of the time it's because I want the piece to be done. Like I want to be done with it. I want to have it from start to the end so I can sit in a chair and start listening as many times as I want to. That is how I feel about that. When I'm creating a song that I feel like it's great, it's satisfying a need of mine. And I want it to be complete. I want it to be structured and I want to be able to hear it back and enjoy it. So it is overwhelming, but uh, when I'm not being able to be done with it, I always respect the feeling as well. And I, I let it stay. I let it stir for some time 
and I go to something different or sometimes to just like feel comfortable again. Uh, I would go in the piano and sit and play something that would make me feel good. So I would play something that makes me feel good. So I relax again because I feel like to let things flow, I need to be in a state of openness, a state of like uh, peace with myself mm. in order for it to like, for me to be able to connect with it. Otherwise, all this like tiny feelings start becoming like stones on my way that distract me from the purpose. And that is when I start with the self criticism, right? Mm. Which doesn't help anybody. That's, that's um, yeah. Yeah. So when I detect that there is like a stepping stone coming my way, I just bring some love to myself and become more kind and do something that would satisfy me. Like sing something that I feel like whenever I sing it, I'm singing my heart out and I love what I hear while I'm doing it. So something you- like that to go back to, you know, to touch that person inside that I know it is there, that I know is a creative and that I know that has things to say and that I know that has a sense of aesthetics that makes me feel good, you know? Not sure if other people will like it, but it makes me feel good. So it shouldn't be bad. (laughs) Well, I I think people end up respecting it over time. Like they may not like it immediately, but they have to at least respect where it came from. At least that's how I feel. Right. People sort of deal with music over time. Yeah. I I mean, there is one quote of Tori Amos that once I heard from one of her interviews that she said, don't be afraid of writing for the future. And that stroked me because that made me realize that many times she wrote songs that didn't become successful at the time or nobody cared about them. And she thought they were great songs. And then maybe after 15 years of her career, she realized they bloomed, you know? Yeah. It's film does the same thing. Books do the same thing. Yeah. Some people, some people just aren't ready at that time when it comes out. Yes. Or sometimes you understand, like for example, this one time I love uh, getting in touch with visual artists because uh, visual arts, they always like struggle a lot with uh, how to put their, paintings out there or their creations out there sculptures out there and they get like high critics about it and this one day i went to the guggenheim museum Mm -hmm. uh, to see the exposition of this artist hilma af klimt and uh, there were these beautiful huge paintings like the first paintings that you would see that were like sort of familiar a little bit i could relate them totally with bjork's new aesthetics sense of aesthetics it was impressive to me Mm -hmm. and that i notice that relationship and then there was this description there against the wall that said that she hid and ordered for these paintings to be hidden for 20 years because when she made them she knew that the people around her were not ready to appreciate it wow and you know reading that was mind-blowing for me because i realized two things first of all she kept on following her through calling of painting whatever was coming to her head and pouring it out. So she was faithful to that feeling, right? To that like gut feeling or that instinct or that moment of passion that makes you do something. She was faithful to that. But at the same time, she had the vision of realizing that what she was doing would have not been appreciated by the time she was 
uh, doing it. And she decided to hit it and wait for the right time to happen. That's that's extreme happened. awareness. That that's that's a great amount of awareness for your own output. Yeah, that is how how I understood that moment when I read this, and I felt so connected with the process. You know, I all these things make me feel that uh, because I connect with them and I understand the depth of where they're coming from, I feel like that's where I belong. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It does. So so it feels like you have more of like an empathic process. There's more of an emotional side to your creative process. Yes, I am absolutely a person that goes from deep within emotions to the outside. I'm hypersensitive. I'm sensitive to all those things. I'm sensitive to the energies around and and all this um, environments and people and art and music. So... I feel like I connect with it and I relate with it like very strongly. Do you feel like it's hard to balance the the mind and the heart part when it comes to just creation in general? It is. it is because the critics never come from the heart. They always come from the mind. Mm. They always come from expectations. What you wish for, you know, or like it comes from the what some people in the spiritual realms call the ego. And the psychology realms, they call ego, you know, it's like the ego tells you what's wrong. It's like the critic, right? But uh, a heart critiquing? No, I'm not familiar with that. I don't think a heart can critique. A heart feels, feels hurt or feels happy, feels love, feels understanding, feels openness, feels peace, but doesn't reach that level of, you know, like, feeling a critique <laughs> yeah I know, I know what you mean i've done reviews um i'm usually the tough guy when it comes to critiquing things mm-hmm. and a lot of it is i do wait a lot of the time to give my final critique because when i see something that's affected me either positively or negatively i know that i'm feeling good because of what i've just saw or heard mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. but the full critique usually comes a couple days down the line when I when my mind is doing most of the work, where I can pick, right. I can I can clearly state how I feel about the thing and why I feel about good or bad about said thing. Right. Yeah, I understand. Um. So speaking of critique, how do you deal with being your own worst critic when it comes to creating your own? It's a horrible journey. <laughs> <laughs> What can I say? It's a horrible journey. But the cool part of it is when you have good friends that are honest too, you can share, you know, and lift yourself up. That's my friends are my biggest therapists, I would say. Whenever I'm feeling very critical about myself, Mm -hmm. I call a friend. Usually my friends would tell me, make me become aware, okay, you're being too critical on yourself, like be more kind. And that is just how it is. You know, that is how the process is. You have to get through it. And then at the end of the day, the only answer is you got to do what you got to do. And the ones who do can show the rest of the inward hell (laughs) that becomes sometimes of dealing with your own critic is uh, the process that it's going to make you grow to a better person and approaching it in a positive and nurturing way i think it's uh the key to be happy hmm. wise words wise words thank you <laughs> let's see anything else 
what other forms of art inspire you? Uh, you, you mentioned uh, visual, uh, like uh, with paintings, you went to the Guggenheim. Uh, do films inspire you? Absolutely. Books? Whenever I write a song, I have a movie in my head. Oh, so you're like scoring, it's like a soundtrack or, or you're scoring a film? <laughs> right, of my own movie. <laughs> but yeah, I'm always scoring. That for sure. So each each song would be like a different film genre, like one would be like a romantic comedy, one might be a drama, one mm, might just I be would a comedy. Say, I would say my songs are approached like moments inside movies. Mm. And sometimes I get inspired by moments inside movies that make me think about a specific subject and then I would write about it. So it goes both ways. Movies are for me, a very great source of information. What, I'm very bad with names, but the movie is called Crazy Stupid Love. Mm, okay. And it's uh, starring, oh, I'm so bad at names, but no, it's no. starring the same artist that is the main character in The Office. Steve Carell. Yes, correct. Steve Carell. He is like the main character of that movie, Crazy Stupid Love. And I find that script is genius. Like the way they approach different situations of love and different stages of love, you know, young love and middle love and old love and family love and friendship love. It's just an amazing movie and it has amazing actors. Emma Watson is there, I believe. Emma Stone. And Emma Stone. Yes, Emma Stone. And I told you I'm very bad at names. That's the that's the thing I'm actually good at. Like random, <laughs> random actors and actress names. Like if you give me oh, wow. the film, yes. I'll, I'll fire out some of the cast. Like it's just weird. Like that. So you know the name of the other actor I want to mention, which is the uh, same actor as The Notebook? That's Ryan Gosling. Yes, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Fantastic. We are a great team. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, movies for me are a great source of inspiration, great source of inspiration and uh, books too, visual arts and talking with people. I love talking with random people. Sometimes with talking with random people, I do like it as well. But there are times when the connection isn't always that great. Sometimes it feels like they're more toxic individuals or Mm. or they, they talk to you as if they're sort of dumping their stuff onto you right versus it being like a uh, a two-way street so to speak where, right. where you're both enriching each other yeah well because they are random people i don't think too much about it i just take whatever i get and sometimes they're very enriching conversations and sometimes they are not but at the end all of them make me think when i speak with people that have a lot of uh, frustration inside their hearts, right? So they kind of vent out. That grounds me a little bit, makes me think about certain realities of life and uh, how a mindset can put you in such situation versus looking for uh, a different mindset, maybe something more positive, maybe something that pushes you forward. And then I feel grateful. I feel grateful that I can think beyond the box. And I'm grateful that I can search for that positive input instead of staying in that state of, um, in, the, in that state that for me is a little uncomfortable. I don't like to be in a state of complaints for too long because it makes me feel uncomfortable after, like, I get annoyed. That. 
you, you're, you're in the habit of turning frowns upside down. You're in the yes. habit of finding silver linings, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, correct. I don't, I don't like to stay in the mud because when I have stayed in the mud, not, nothing great or exciting has come out of it. It has been just like very dreadful and like very heavy. Yeah. I understand that sometimes you enter those realms in order for you to find some truth that you couldn't see before. And growing is, is not easy. Growing is painful. But it takes you to places as long as you always wish for it. Normally, I'm, I'm the negative person, but you've sort of enlightened me on the, <laughs> the, the power of positivity. Yes, yes. I believe that when you are at peace inside, things happen more often. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Yeah. What are your thoughts on New York City? New York City. New York City is a real relationship. <laughs> Sometimes you get great moments that are sort of like you feel like you're walking inside of your own documentary and some other moments that you feel like you're in hell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, so I feel like... New York City is a real relationship for me with ups and downs, uh, with heavy parts that become less heavy once you have grown, outgrown them. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the fact that you have to really know yourself in order to be able to find your place in the city. That's very true. That's very, very true. A lot of people don't know themselves. Uh, some people end up finding themselves here or during yes. the process of living here. Yes, but, you know. absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it's the greatest gift that New York can give you. If you haven't found yourself and you arrive here, it's not going to be easy. But if you keep going, it is going to be a point of your life that you will feel like you found yourself. And might not necessarily mean that you belong to New York City, but it means that you have found yourself become more honest about the things that serve you and the things that don't. And then after that, you find your place. I don't think New York City is for everyone to stay here. I don't even see myself staying here for the longest run. But I am grateful for every single day I have been here. Okay. There was actually a, a YouTuber that I watched. Um, she moved here from... I think it was Malibu or I, f I think I forget where in California, but she gave it. She said she gave it the old college try. She she actually moved here, left and moved back again to try again. But then she realized after the second attempt that New York City just wasn't for her and that right. she felt that New York City was nice. It had its moments, but she felt that living out in California was her her vibe that was her her brand so to speak mm -hmm. and that was the best place for her absolutely absolutely yeah. i'm still curious about where am i gonna feel like it's the right place for me but at the moment i feel like i'm still in a relationship with new york do you have a favorite neighborhood or a favorite borough uh favorite area you like to go in the city my favorite spot is the Dumbo area where you can see the three bridges together. Mm. Uh, and there's a James Caruso over there. 
I've never ridden the carousel, but I just like to walk in the shore and get the view of it. And I think it's beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have a favorite area? I have, you tell me. I'm, I'm, I'm asking. I'm, I'm sort of asking rhetorically. Yes. I'm thinking. I would like to know. Uh, hmm. My favorite place in this city. It's interesting with, with this city. A lot of the times, the best view or the best place to be is sort of outside of New York, looking back into New York. Mm-hmm. There's like a place in New Jersey, I think Weehawken, like right over mm-hmm. the bridge. You get a great view of Manhattan uh, from the side, and you get to see all the lights, the buildings, and just the city looks different from the outside as yes, opposed to being on absolutely. the inside. Like when you're in Manhattan and you're looking up at all these big, giant skyscrapers, it sort of feels it can feel at times as if it's overwhelming. Like these buildings are sort of closing in on you or yeah. they're just too, there's just too many of them. Yes. Um, <laughs> but when you're outside of the city or you're in a different borough and you're looking at, you know, Manhattan or you're looking at some of these coastal areas, it can feel a lot more digestible, so to speak. You, you can accept what you're seeing a little bit better because it's not towering over you. You have mm. your perspective is different because you're pulled back from it. Right. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, the beauty in New York is just walking inside it. And then when you can contemplate it, that's when you are actually at peace. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. 100%. Yes. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome, Christopher. Um, do I have any? Yeah, I'm, I'm all out of questions. I feel like I I would I I should put in a request for another one of these uh, down the line. I don't know when. Uh, probably next month to uh, maybe mm-hmm. the the 2020. We start we start the year with a conversation about music, but in you know, like influential albums or f- the the hypothetical concert with your favorite artist in it, alive or dead. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a fun question. When I read it, I was like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one. I started imagining so many things. And I was like, wow, that would be so cool. Yeah, like even if, if you want to go as deep as like make a set list, just let me know so I can go that deep as well. Okay, um, so yeah, like a, that's like, awesome. It, it could be just, a, you know, a, a three-day festival called Gretsch Fest. Oh, wow. You, and budget, there's no, you know, no budgetary constraints. They can get whatever they want your favorite artists all together in one place, what would they be? What order would you put them in? Like, who's going to close? You mm. know, who's going to close the whole thing? Who's going to mm. close just Friday? Who's just going to close Saturday? Like, there's a lot that goes into that, so. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. Um, I have very interesting answers for those, I think. Yeah, I have to, I have to get mine because all of my musical loves and likes, they're they're sort of all spread out. Like I have them all in separate places. So I have to mm-hmm. sort of bring them closer together to me and then sort of evaluate who I would have opening, closing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. It's a fun question. It was a really fun question when I read it. I, it really made me dream so much. And that's one of the things I like the most. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could help because I, <laughs> I felt it was, uh, it was one of the ideas for one of my first 10 podcasts. Mm-hmm. Overall, I mean, I didn't, I haven't done those ten yet, but mm-hmm. it was on the list. 
of um, potential questions to ask. Like I, I was thinking of maybe I could do it by myself, but then I thought once I bumped into you, I was like, okay, now we have a, we, you know, I can pick your brain and I can sort of bounce my ideas back and forth. Mm. Yeah. I think it would be a great topic for yes. sure. Yes. Very fun. So we'll have to, uh, we'll set that up for when we both have some time to uh, yes. talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Christopher. This has been a great experience. Actually. Yes, this, this has been great for me too. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. expecting that one to be uh you know mm. super supremely poetic but we'll, we'll see supremely poetic <laughs> yes. wow higher expectations you have put on me my friend <laughs> you, you said this you said this is your first podcast you sounded like a pro man you, you, <laughs> you sound like you've done this a thousand times no never this is the first one the, have you been uh, practicing have you have you have you been no. taking notes from uh engineering because no. i when you pulled out the uh, the Tori Amos quote, I was like, "Oh my goodness, this this is professional level right now." Oh no, that's just how I. Th- those are my treasures that I carry every day within me. So anytime I'm doubting, I come up with those, you know, phrases. Man, yeah, you, that's how I keep myself on going. Okay, <laughs> you know, you have to find those things that motivate you and inspire you, and yeah. keep them as treasures inside. <laughs>